So let's begin in James. We'll read one verses, uh, James chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 12 again this morning. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. All right. So just by way of a short review... Uh, last week we focused on verses 2 through 4 and verse 12. How James teaches us that the various trials that we face, the, the various sufferings that we endure, they are not pointless. Uh, but rather they are working in us and building within us a treasure that is more precious than gold. It is um, that tested genuineness, the proven worth or proven value of a, a, of a true faith in Jesus Christ that also supplies the power to keep you on the narrow and hard way that leads to life. Amen. So if I had to summarize the whole message from last week, the whole sermon, I, I would do it in a couple sentences this way. You should rejoice and be joyful when you endure trials and sufferings because they are producing in you the tested genuineness the proven worth of faith, that, that's an important part, tested and proven. It, it's, it's been tried, it's been tested, it's been proven. It's not just genuineness and value, but it's genuineness and value with a, a seal of, of authenticity. It's, it's, it's given extra credibility, it's proven. So the tested genuineness of faith in Jesus Christ that supplies staying power, that's steadfastness, that keeps you on the narrow, hard way that leads to life. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, therefore, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So that's verses 2 through 4 of, of James and verse 12. Uh, and the verse 1, you know, that's just the greeting. And, uh, and then verse 2, he gets into the body of his letter, and that's just the first two sentences. And then we come to verse 5, where he says, If you lack any wisdom, 
This is where we're going to spend some time today, okay? If you lack, if anyone lacks wisdom. Now, it's interesting that he goes there, and it it begs us to look a little bit closer, because in verse 4, James tells us about the person who is steadfast and lets steadfastness have its full effect. He says that that person will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Do you see that in verse 4? Let steadfastness have its perfect work or have its full effect. So, and then the very next thing that comes out of his mouth or that he writes on the page, lacking nothing if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, there's, there's a connection here, and, and we're going to get to it. But one of the, the difficulties in studying James and, and his epistle is that it kind of reads, I think I mentioned this last week, it kind of reads like the Proverbs. It's, it's considered the Proverbs of the, the New Testament. And, you, you know, in the, uh, uh, when I say that, I mean that there are nuggets of wisdom, various parts of it that seem uh, disconnected from the rest of it. I mean, if you read the Proverbs in the Old Testament, you're, you're going to see huge swaths of text that seem like they're disconnected. It's going to be, you know, little one-liners here and there, and they don't, it's hard to trace a, an argument through them. It's hard to draw a line through them and say this connects to this and this connects to this. They just seem like they're little one-off bits of godly wisdom that they, they kind of stand on their own. I mean, they're, they're all true, right? They're all, they're all godly wisdom, but they, they don't seem to be just particularly connected one to another. They don't seem to flow. Just by way of example, just the first four verses in Proverbs 12. Who, who loves discipline? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Verse 1. Verse 2. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. Verse 3, no one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. Verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. So now, how does this even connect? But the root of righteousness, excuse me, but she who brings shame is like the rottenness of his bones. So, I mean, it just seems like it's all over the place. I mean, it's hard to draw a line of argumentation between them. Are they true? You bet. Are they wisdom from the Lord? You bet. Do we need to heed what they say? You bet. But it's, it's, they seem, they feel disconnected. And, and so that's, that's kind of how James is. It's difficult to trace a specific line sometimes through James. And so what I'm telling you is that it's just going to be like that for a few weeks while we work through, through James. All right? There are broad themes, but often James seems to switch subjects. What he says is true, what he says is godly, what he says ought to be followed, it ought to be heeded as, as righteous. We ought to pay attention to it and do what he says, but sometimes it just seems like he changes subject a little bit. <laughs> so, if you remember from last week, verses 2 through 4, and then we, we bookended it with verse 12, let steadfastness have its perfect work, verse 4 and then, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, verse 12. Here in 5 through 8, we have a section there, and then we have another section in 9 through 11, and those sections seem to kind of stand on their own. They're like their own little proverbs. But James does give us a little bit of a connection between verse 2 through 4 and 5 through 8, and it comes in that use of the word lack. There's a... There's a a fullness that he talks about, 
a, a, a lacking nothing that he talks about in verse 4, and then there's a lack that he talks about in verse 5. Now, I'm, I, I'm sorry to get technical and to get down in the weeds with you, but I hope I'm going to do a good enough job explaining that, that you're able to follow. The argument could be made, and I think it's a valid one, that James is connecting wisdom or the possession of wisdom to our ability to rejoice when we meet trials of various kinds, knowing that they produce steadfastness. So let, let's look at it again with a, a, a critical eye. Uh, when I say critical, I don't mean um, uh, I don't mean uh, what am I what am I saying? I don't mean that we're uh, dismissive of it. I don't mean that we're accusatory of it. But I mean that we're, we think through it. So verse four, James says, "Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing." So if any of you lacks wisdom. Verse 5, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So, if you lack wisdom, you have lack. You're not lacking nothing, right? You have, you have lack. You, you are, are uh, in uh, short supply. Which means, then, let's work backwards, that you are not complete or perfect. Which means that you didn't let steadfastness have its full effect, verse 4, which means that the trials and testings of your faith didn't produce steadfastness, which means that you didn't rejoice when you met those trials and testings. Probably because, here's the circle, you lacked wisdom to know that you ought to rejoice when you meet trials of various kinds because you know that the trial and the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, to be joyful in the midst of trials and sufferings, to have a genuine testedness of faith, James says, get wisdom. I mean, he literally could have said anything else here. He could have said, get, get anything else. We all have some kind of lack somewhere. We're all deficient in some area. But James says, get wisdom. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Proverbs 16, wisdom is better than gold. Proverbs 19, the one who gets wisdom loves life. Proverbs 4, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. With James... This wisdom that he's speaking about isn't some kind of mystical idea. It's not, a, it's not a grand concept that's hard to grasp a hold of. He sees it very practically as the right use of our opportunities to live holy. Amen. James sees it as living like Christ in accordance with the will of God. So we need wisdom to know how to look at a trial in its true light. And we need wisdom to know that we should rejoice because of what this trial will produce in us. Amen. Tested genuineness, more precious than gold, real proven faith. We need wisdom to give patience and to have patience, to give that steadfastness a chance to have its full effect on us, to make us mature, 
That's what perfect literally translated to means. It means mature. So that we can be perfect and complete. So it's important that we get wisdom. Would you agree? Everyone says amen? Sure. Okay. Where do we get it? Yes. He tells us right off the bat, right? Let him ask God. Where do we get wisdom? Back verse 5, James says, let him ask God. And why do we go to God for wisdom and not someone else? Because God is the one who gives generously to all without reproach. And if you ask wisdom, verse 5, it will be given. That's some pretty definite language there. These aren't um, platitudes. These aren't sayings. It's a pretty concrete promise. God is generous first. He is generous with wisdom. Now that, that word in the original language is difficult to translate into English. The literal meaning is simple. God gives wisdom simply. Or God simply gives wisdom. He just simply gives it. It's not a complex process with a bunch of provisos and, and quid pro quos. If you do this, then I will do that, and so on and so forth. You need wisdom? Here you go. And in that sense, he is generous. He's not stingy. He's not protective of his wisdom. It's a simple, you ask, you receive. You need wisdom? Here. You come to me for wisdom? I got wisdom. I can give you wisdom. I will gladly give you wisdom. So he, he offers it to anyone who asks him. And in this sense, he's also generous because it comes to all. He is generous to all who ask. It isn't in short supply. Trust me when I tell you that God has plenty of wisdom to go around and around and around again and around again. As often as you need it, he can and will, according to his promise, supply you. With wisdom, there is absolutely no point where you will say to God or where God will say to you, that's enough. It's time to turn this spigot off. You've, you've had enough wisdom. You need some more foolishness in your life. At no point will God say that to you. At no point will He say, I've, I've, I can't give you wisdom because I've got to save it for some other people. He is generous and infinite in his supply. So what does that mean? We'll read the text. He gives generously to all. How? Without reproach. So then there is no shame in admitting that you lack wisdom. Amen. So this is not James coming, let everyone let be steadfast and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you can be perfect, lacking nothing. Don't you dare ask for wisdom. Shame on you if you feel like you need some wisdom. That is not at all. James says, God gives it without reproach. If you lack it, ask for it, buddy. You need it you got to get it. Go to the source to get it. 
There's no shame in saying, Lord, right now I'm having some trouble discerning the right way from the wrong way. I'm having some trouble discerning the, the straight and narrow path, the hard way that leads to life from the wide path that leads to destruction. Amen. Amen. I need your help. Isn't that what James says? God gives wisdom without reproach. That means there is no rebuke in it. There's no rebuke in that request. None. There's no shame in it. At no time ever will God begrudge you or be angry at you over a request for wisdom. He's not going to say, man, this is like the fifth time you've asked me for this. How many situations are you going to get yourself in? How many times do I got to help you? No, he won't. He's not going to do that. He gives, how does he give? Generously, right? Simply. He just simply gives it to all without reproach. No, there's no shame. There's no rebuke in it. Consequently, that's the same that can be said for how God offers mercy and forgiveness. From the murmurer to the murderer, God gives generously to all. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's James chapter 2. From the ignorant to the intelligent, God gives wisdom to all. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I cannot state enough how rock solid of a promise that is. Amen. Amen. There's one simple condition attached to it. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Just perfect sense. If you think it through, well, duh, Okay, James says that if we lack wisdom, we should ask God because he will give it generously without reproach to all who ask. And then in verse 6, he says, but let him ask in faith. Now, now, James isn't talking about faith like the faith that was once delivered, uh, once for all delivered to the saints. He's not talking about doctrine. He's not talking about right thinking. He's talking about trust. Let him ask trusting. Not, not let him ask according to a certain set of teaching, but let him ask trusting God. And we know this because he says, follows up very next words, he says, ask in faith without doubting, with no doubting. The word literally translated means without hesitation. But, you know, depending on where it's used and how it's used, it's translated doubting as we see here. But isn't that the same thing? Don't you see that? Aren't hesitation and doubt very closely related? They're like brothers. If your confidence level is low, what do you do? You hesitate. You have doubts. And James says to ask in faith. That's trust with no doubting, without hesitation. So what he's talking about is having a working confidence in God on the basis of his promises that leads us to ask with an expectation that we will receive what we ask for, namely wisdom. Amen. Amen. Ask expecting to receive. Look at the context. 
we're, we're talking about asking the Lord for something. Specifically, in this case, we're talking about asking Him for wisdom. So, you know, show me the way. Show me what is right. Show me what is good and right and righteous. Help me stay on the, 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 the hard way that leads to life. What is, what is pleasing to you? There is no circumstance under which someone could ask for that from God and God would say, sorry, that's an improper request. Wisdom is always a proper request. All, and the reason why, all God-given wisdom leads us back to God. That's Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so here's the thing. I know and you know that we have all had prayers. We've all asked the Lord for things. And at times the Lord has said, Mm-mm. But he did it with Paul. Paul said, I, I asked him three times, and three times he said, Mm-mm. My grace is sufficient for you. So we know that there are some times when we go to the Lord. I mean, we make requests of Him, and it is not a righteous request. When you ask, you ask wrongly to consume it on your own lust. That's James 4. So sometimes the things that we ask for, we rightly do not receive. And that is according to the infinite goodness and mercy and wisdom of God. He withholds those things. The things that we ask for that sometimes they're, they're not righteous requests or they're harmful requests. The thing is, wisdom is not one of those. It says it right here. God gives wisdom. He simply gives it without reproach. If you ask, you will receive. So what I'm trying to point out to you, what I want you to see, is that James gives us the basis for an unwavering confidence that your prayers for wisdom are answered. It's not a, Lord, if I pray, I'm going to pray this and hope that God delivers. No. If you ask Him for wisdom, the Bible says, ask Him in faith without doubting because He gives it. He will give it. God does not give us scorpions or stones even when we ask for them. Sometimes we ask for scorpions without realizing it. All of his wisdom is good. It is good for us to the glory of his great name. Sometimes we ask for things, and all we know is that we want this thing. You know, and we've looked over and said, what? This looks good for me. I don't know why I shouldn't ask. I'm going to ask for this. And the Lord says, "Uh uh-uh. Because in his infinite wisdom, he sees it and he knows this is bad for you. What you're asking for is a scorpion. You don't realize it, but that's what you're... And I'm not going to give you a scorpion. That's what he says. Because this is destructive for you and you you can't have that. Here's the thing. (laughs) And I know I'm drilling this, but I want you to get it. Wisdom is never destructive. The gifts from above are good and perfect. That's also right here in James. So when James says, ask for wisdom without doubting, that's on the basis of what he's just said, because it will be given. So back in verse 6. Ask in faith 
for the one who doubts. That's the one who asks for wisdom without confidence. What does James say about that guy? He's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So, coming to God and saying, Lord, I, I need wisdom here. But doing so without faith, doing so while doubting that he either can or doubting that he will supply, is akin to being tossed in the wind like the waves of the sea. Can you, can you picture anything that is more unstable? I told you before about going shark fishing one time when we were in uh, Florida. We were in Destin, and we rented a boat, went out shark fishing, and we got away from the shore far enough where we couldn't see, and the, it was pretty choppy, the waves were. There was nothing stable about that experience. I mean, it, the boat was all over the place. I felt like we were on a thimble out in the middle of the, the vast ocean. You know, when we walked up to the boat in the dock, it looked pretty, pretty big, but... Out there, with it going up and down and side to side, I, I may as well have been in a thimble. It was uh, unstable in all of its ways. Amen. <laughs> At least I felt so. That's what I felt like. That's what James says. The person who asks for wisdom, doubting that he will receive wisdom, is unstable in all of his ways. Now think about what that means. So let's, let's try to work through this practically. Again, you know, context matters. So we're asking for, uh, for wisdom, and James says to do that without doubting. What do you get if you ask for wisdom, but you doubt you'll receive it? You, you get, what happened? It's indecision, right? You know, I, I have a, a choice between two different things. Lord, give me wisdom. I don't know if he's going to give me wisdom. So which one do I choose? I don't know. It's indecision. I, I read uh, one commenter put it this way. He said, it's like the poor donkey who starved to death because he could not choose between two stacks of hay. Oh, which one? They both look so good. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Paralyzed by indecision. And that is an extremely unstable place to be, is it not? Double-minded, tossed between different options like waves of the sea. James says that this man who asks while doubting should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. How could he when he second-guesses it all? It's an insult to the giver to second-guess the gift. And I, I think it, it must be mentioned that James says he will not, should not expect to receive anything. From the Lord. Church, salvation is by faith. Amen. How can you trust for salvation, which is huge, yes. if you can't trust for something as simple, simply given as wisdom? So how does this work? How do we ask in faith with no doubting? How do we know we have been given wisdom to make the right decisions the wisdom to rejoice in our trials, the wisdom to allow steadfastness to have its full effect. I'm going to share with you my, my personal application for this, how I work this out 
in my own life, and, and I hope that uh, it will be of help to some of you. So this is, this is personal application from Jeff. A little bit of backstory, though, just to let you know, I, I ask for wisdom, I pray for wisdom every day of my life. Every single day. There, there are four things that I are on my absolute must-pray-for list uh, and have been for years, and that's wisdom and creativity and discipline and energy. And there are reasons that I have each of those things on my list, but, but wisdom is at the very, very top. I need, I need wisdom when I study the Scriptures. Amen. I need wisdom on my job. I need wisdom in financial matters. I need wisdom in my relationships. I need wisdom to walk in the path of righteousness. I need wisdom, and I need a lot of it. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. Lord, I need wisdom. And this is compounded by the fact that I am a man of such a personality and disposition as is not able to make quick, sound, confident decisions. In other words, I'm very indecisive. I will second guess my meal choices at a restaurant. And this is such, it's such a thing that we have a running joke about it in, in my family. Uh, I mean, we'll go to a restaurant, we'll sit, the waitress will come take my order, and this, of course, is after I've looked thoroughly through the menu and, and I could almost memorize it and tell you everything that's there, and she'll say, what do you want? And I'll say, this is what I want. And then as soon as she leaves, almost invariably out of my mouth, I will dip my head and say, I should have gotten that other thing. <laughs> Anybody, am I the only one that does that? So there, there's more than one. Okay, that's good, that's good. Happens almost every time. And they laugh at me because they're just waiting. They're just, they'll sit there silently and wait. How, when, when's he going to say it? That and at the end of the meal, almost invariably I'll say, oh, I ate too much. They'll say, huh, when's dad going to say that? So those are the two things that happens at mealtime. But the, what's pertinent to right now today is that I'm indecisive. I'll make a decision and then doubt it. I second guess it. I'm wishy-washy that way. Happens almost every time. There's one time that we went to Home Depot to get some paint. This was years and years ago. The girls were little. I forget what it was that we were painting. But do you know that when you go to buy paint and you don't have a specific color in mind, there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of options on that wall of swatches they have for colors. Amen. And... If you, if you want to paralyze an indecisive person, <laughs> present him with two equally good-looking stacks of hay. So, I mean, we were at Home Depot. The girls were little. I, I think I stared at that wall for hours. Three hours. A long time. Just trying to pick a color. I, you know, so... All that to say, I'm, I'm not a, an incredibly decisive person. It's something I have to, to work at, something I've had to work at very hard. I've had to search and seek to find decisiveness, especially in the big things.
because the, the, the heavier the decision, the, the more I, I oh, oh, you know, I just get frozen. How does that work for me? How does ask for wisdom in faith with no doubting work for me? How do I do that when I am so bankrupt in confidence in my own decisions? And I am. That's a weakness. I'm just bearing my heart for you. That's a weakness that I have. It's been an area that I, I have to, to work on. The thing is, and this is what sometimes irks me, but there is no magic buzzer. There's no glorious ray of light that shines down to say, that's the right one, pick that one. There's no golden buzzer or there's no confetti that comes down, nothing, nothing like that. And at the end of the matter, when it's all said and done, I have to choose. I have to make a decision. Right? More to the point, I have to trust. Lord, there's this thing. And I don't know what to do. I need, I need wisdom for what to do. Help me make the right choice. The wise choice. The choice that glorifies you. Ask and then trust that what I decide is the wisdom from the Lord. I have asked him for wisdom. He has promised, he has told me about how he gives wisdom. I give it generously and without reproach. And he said, if you ask me, I'll give it. That's part of my prayer. Lord, you told me that if I come to you for wisdom, you are generous and you won't make me embarrassed to ask you. This will not bring me reproach to come to you for this. And you said you'd give it to me. I need wisdom. Now I've got to make a decision. I have to trust that whatever I decide is wisdom from the Lord. Now, here there are some, some boundaries, right? I mean, you, you, you have to be able to discern what's selfish flesh and what's the will of the Lord and what's righteous and what's unrighteous and all that stuff. You've got to figure that out. And fortunately, the Scripture gives us some tools. Amen. For example, just, just one of the tools, very clearly, plainly written, right here in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 17, James tells us that the wisdom from above is first pure Amen. and then peaceable and gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and, and sincere. So whatever the choice I have to make, is it those things? If it's those things, go for it, buddy. That's the choice that the Lord wants you to make. Do it, and do it knowing that God gave you the wisdom to do so. Because you ask Him in faith, not doubting. Another good gauge is that I, I use. I use James 3.17. I use Micah 6.8 when faced with decisions. And I don't, I don't know, Lord, and the Lord says, He has told you, O oh man, Micah 6.8, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. Lord, is this just? To, to love kindness. Does this love 
kindness or is it more selfish? To walk humbly with your God. Am I exalting me? And James, we're going to talk about exaltation and humbleness in, in the next section, uh, 9 through 11. And if it's those things, do it. Knowing that the Lord is with you. Knowing that you have acted in the wisdom of the Lord. The wisdom that comes from above. Sometimes the distinction between two choices is very clear. Sometimes there's a clear righteous way and a clear unrighteous way. Other times it's not so clear. Sometimes you're faced with two really good choices. Ask God for wisdom. Don't get paralyzed over the decision. Ask, we, we face this with our girls, particularly with Michaela. She was vacillating between two different colleges, both of which were Christian schools, both of which would have given her a great education, both of which she would have loved. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Pick one. Ask God for wisdom and pick one. Trusting that he gave you the right choice. That's what James says when he says, ask in faith. What is faith? What is faith? What does Hebrews tell us faith is? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There's no golden buzzer. Amen. 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 You're wondering about stepping out. Lord, would you have me do this? Just do it. Is it, is it, is it just? Does it love kindness? Does it walk humbly? Is it peaceable? Is it, is it pure? Is it gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits? Impartial? And, is it those things? Do it! That's the wisdom of God. Sometimes we are faced with choices, not good choices, but we're faced with choices that seem like there's no way to win. There's no good choice here. Nothing but terrible choices. Like what Jesus faced in the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen. Amen. He either drinks the cup and he suffers and dies, but he saves the world, or he passes on the cup and he lives without suffering but the world is condemned. None of those choices were particularly good. They both ended in pain, but only one of them was the right one. Right? And I'll just close by reiterating what James says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously, without reproach, and it will be given him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you, in your wisdom, offer wisdom so freely and that we have only to ask. You are good to us. You are merciful to us. Father, I pray that you help us see this, that it is as simple as calling your name and asking you for help. Lord, and I pray just a corporate prayer for wisdom for all of us as we, as we you know, go about our day, wisdom for all of us as we study your word, as we live our lives, as we seek to honor you and do things, all things, to your glory.
Give us the wisdom to do that and to love your glory and to love your righteousness. Give us wisdom to rejoice when we meet trials, Lord, because we know that you're working in us something that is better than gold. Father, we love you and we thank you. Right now we ask that you bless the meal that we, has been prepared for us. Bless our fellowship. May they all be to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.